Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the last one of the week, John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we always love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp, anything on your mind as well, to 086 103 103. And I don't think there is a day where, uh, where you open up the papers where you don't see something about the energy crisis and what a difficult winter it's going to be for a lot of people and different businesses being uh, talking about their high electricity uh, costs and you know sad to read in the paper of businesses that have been forced to close down because they simply can't afford to pay for the high energy costs and the latest group to get involved and say we're going to have a bit of a problem uh, this uh, winter are the churches because Catholic bishops seemingly have now appealed to the government to extend the energy cost supports that they're putting in place. We know the government are putting energy cost supports in place for households, they're putting them in place for a lot of businesses and the church are now saying you need to extend that hand of friendship to churches and to parish halls because they're saying they really are grappling with the prospect of what they're calling drastic closures due to soaring heating costs. Now, seemingly there was a statement issued following a meeting of the Catholic Church hierarchy in uh, Maynooth this week. And they noted that the financial support in the budget, they spoke about it for households, for business, for sports organisations and for voluntary organisations. All, of course, were facing rapid inflationary energy costs but when you go through the budget there was nothing for community facilities that are not grant aided places like the parish centre at the community halls are indeed the church buildings themselves many small local groups I mean people like the, the scouts the girl guides some mother and baby clubs retirement clubs active retirement groups they all use parish facilities for meetings and the parish hall is used the length and breadth of the country but according to the the bishops the church buildings are also often used in winter time for homeless and vulnerable people to keep warm and uh, safe and they're saying with these soaring heating costs they reckon the number of people now who will decide to spend 
a larger part of their day inside in a church. They reckon that number is going to go up dramatically. However, they're saying that the related energy costs, theirs of the church, are also rising rapidly to the point where they say it's going to be very difficult to keep everything opened and they may be faced with having to close down parish centres or indeed even to close the doors at the church. And then so therefore to address the dilemma, the statement that came out of Maynooth from the Catholic bishops uh, this week urged the government to give some sort of assistance and make assistance available to what they say are vital community resources just so that they can remain open on some kind of a sustainable basis throughout what is going to be a very stressful uh, period. Uh, and one uh, bishop speaking in the papers today said that said that people and uh, parishes are facing what he says is a miserable winter. This is Bishop Michael Ruter. He said it's possible that churches may have to close their doors and that they'll be only open when there are masses or other services on. But he's saying for the rest of the day, it is possible that the church door will be closed. He said a lot of parishes have parish halls, have parish facilities. And he said they're now facing the possibility that they mightn't be able to heat them. And because of that, they'll simply close the doors and um, close them down in order to save money. The escalating energy costs come also when you're looking at the Catholic Church and indeed other churches on the back of a 90% drop in income and that was during the pandemic when all of our churches were closed. So the, the this is a kind of a double whammy for the, for the Catholic churches. They have 1,300 parishes across Ireland and they really are facing a perfect storm. Bishop Rutter says that church attendance has also not gone back to what it was uh, pre-COVID figures. And, you know, they're accepting there that there's still a reluctance amongst uh, a cohort uh, that normally go go to Mass every Sunday, normally support the church, predominantly elderly people. But some of them are still slow to come back because, of course, there is the fear that the virus, while it's not gone away, people are starting to worry about it as we head into the winter months. So for some older people, they're opting to still have Mass online rather than go back into the church. So therefore, there isn't money going into the coffers as would have been going in uh, before the pandemic uh, hit. Uh, With heating costs rising by 50%, in a lot of parishes and a lot of uh, churches. So they're simply going to have to cut their claw to their measure. And the only way they can do that is by cutbacks and uh, closures. And uh, the bishop said at the same time, the bishops themselves are being are encouraging parishes to respond to the cost of living crisis by making sure that parish facilities are available. You know, they're saying open up your parish halls if you want to host food banks. They're also suggesting something that I don't think we've ever spoken about before. They're talking about warm banks they're saying open up you know the parish hall use it as a warm bank which would be a facility for homeless people or for people who simply don't have enough money to heat their own homes they would be saying to people we'll come into the parish hall we're going to have it open on you know maybe uh, two to six in the afternoon and you can get a cup of coffee or whatever and you know just hang out and chat with other parishioners but at the same time you won't have to be using your own heating at home you can use our heating instead so they've been encouraged on one hand to do that but now there's the realisation how will they afford to uh, heat it um, uh, so that they're going to definitely have a little bit of a dilemma uh, going on and you know the bishops are saying if we're going to be able to do that then really we are going to need assistance with our uh, parishes and assistance with the energy 
costs of the parish. So therefore they're calling on the government now to consider giving some aid at least for the worst of this wind for these winter months. So there's another group who are looking to the government to say we are going to need a helping hand. And I know there's a lot of businesses are are definitely going to go to the government uh, for help. And it was announced in the budget that businesses uh, will be able to get to get help with 40 percent of their energy costs over and above what they've paid last year. I don't know if that's going to be enough for all businesses. But then there's the stories in the papers today that not all businesses are, in, are included in that. For example, uh, doctors, surgeries, dentists, accountants, solicitors, their businesses that are not going to be included in the scheme that was announced in the budget. So definitely with rising energy costs tricky time ahead for a lot of people. I mentioned that the Catholic Church are appealing to the government to extend energy cost supports to churches and parish halls because they're grappling with the prospect of huge and soaring heat costs and and I was thinking as well about churches. They're very large buildings. I imagine at the best of times they're very expensive uh, to heat uh, and that was even before energy costs went up. Somebody not really having a lot of sympathy for this church and says I can't understand why the Church, uh, churches will be complaining since a priest charged us 700 euro to conduct a wedding. That seems expensive. 700 euro, is that? I have no idea if that's standard ch- charge or not. I always thought you just gave an envelope with a donation to the priest. Is there a set amount? And maybe that varies from parish to parish. But this listener said 700 euro is what they were ch- charged by their priest. Uh, Joe was on cannot understand why the Catholic uh, Church is going to the government cap in hand. Joe's suggestion to them is go to the Vatican. The Vatican has the richest bank in the world. They surely could send a cheque to the Catholic Church in Ireland. There's a huge amount of money within the Vatican. Why can't they lend a helping hand to the Irish Catholic churches with all of their parish halls around the country? Support Ireland. Joe reckons over the years the Irish Catholic Church has given enough to the Vatican. It's now time for a bit of payback. But then Eilie in Newmarket saying people are always knocking the church and while she accepts there was wrongdoings in uh, the past, not everybody involved in the church was uh, to blame and yet everybody will want to use the church facilities like the parish hall and in smaller areas the local many of the local community halls are the parish halls. They are owned and run by uh, the church and now we're hearing of some schools who are approaching priests within their parish for financial help to pay their bills and yet we'll always hear the argument that the church that the schools and uh, should come out from under the auspices of the Catholic Church but yet when they're needed for money people will go to the parish priest so Eileen is very much backing the church 0818 uh, Um smiling uh, at 93 year old who I'm sitting with here is listening to you about closing the church she said how in the name of God did we manage long ago she simply can't understand I suppose the church would say to you that they never had such high heating bills but yes a, a woman a lady of that generation 93 would have lived through through very very difficult times and they just simply got on with it thank you for your text 086 103103 did it Today, by the way, is the first day of the C103's Free Fuel Friday 
every Friday throughout the month of October. We're trying to do our bit to help you with the energy crisis and we are going to be giving away 100 euro fuel vouchers right across the day. On every programme we will have a star that you have to identify. It is the star in the car and then we'll get you to text our WhatsApp for your chance to win. I can give you a listen. Can I do? I'm, I'm sure I'm, I can play the star in the car now. Yeah, I can play it right throughout the morning. Okay, I'm going to play you the star in the car for you to work on identifying who this lady is and then later on don't do it now later on I'll tell you when to text our WhatsApp don't text our WhatsApp in early though because you won't get your entry won't go into the draw who is this? When I got that horse many years ago like 20 years ago nobody wanted it because he had a problem with his feet I play it again When I got that horse many years ago, like 20 years ago, nobody wanted it because he had a problem with his feet. Now, who is that? It's a a well-known actress. That's as much as I'm going to give you on that. Okay, make a note. If you know who that person is, then hang on to that lady's name. And a little bit later on, I'll be asking you to text or you can WhatsApp in your entry for a chance to win C103's Free Fuel Friday, €100 Euro voucher to be given away on this programme with East Cork Oil serving Cork City and County and across Munster for locations. You can see yourlocaloilcompany.ie. Always local only on C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. As we've already mentioned this morning, everyone is aware of the rising cost of uh, living, especially when it comes to our energy prices. But many schools are now finding themselves under pressure to simply pay their electricity bill, not to mention the other ongoing costs associated with keeping the doors of the school open. Independent Dáil Deputy in West Cork, Michael Collins, joins me to highlight how difficult it has become for some school principals in his area. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I'm, I'm blown away by this. You've heard of some schools going to the parish priest for help. Absolutely. Uh, schools are left in a very, uh, having to make a very difficult decision because, you know, capitation grants are, are, are extremely tight in the best of times, but their energy bills, uh, whether to the lighting or the, uh, the oil heating, are skyrocketing. Um, the, the, the capitation grant isn't meeting anywhere near what they need and they'd be left with no choice. And I met with the INTO. Uh, they've told me about schools in West Cork um, you know I'll probably remain nameless right here uh, that have gone to the local parish priest for to uh, pull out a cheque to pay for the electricity bill in the last um, in the last couple of months and, did, and did the priest do it? He did in fairness they, they have done that the, the priests have done that and always, in fairness I have to say you know there's always been a, a cry from within government uh, to separate uh, church from state and I don't agree with that at all because I'm in a board of management myself and I've seen that when we needed to, to borrow money for to build an extension only for the church helping us to, to approach the bank we would never have got a broad seat And yet um, and yet I don't know I, I started the programme by mentioning that the Catholic bishops are appealing to the government they need help with the running of their church and parish centres so we're going to come to a time where a local school might go to the parish priest but he might be saying I don't have the money for you yeah, unfortunately, we could be faced with that, you know, with local parish halls and, and, and community centres for that matter too, even though they wouldn't be uh, maybe attached uh, to the church as much as the parish hall, but the parish hall, the churches are running out of money themselves as well. And, you know, I heard listeners saying something about the Vatican, but the bottom line is 
Vatican is not going to listen if, if there's a school in Castletown Bear or a school in Clonakilty that can't pay the electric bill or the, or the home heating oil bill or the, 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 they're not going to be able to they're not going to put the cheque in the yeah. post you, are you also hearing of some sending their unpaid bills to the Department of Education are the Department of Education paying the bill for them at this present time, that's the next move. Um, like they can turn to the to local church, the local parish priest continues. They are looking for a handout to bail the school out. So their decision is that they, they can't turn the heating off, they can't turn the lights off, obviously, and and electrical items that are needed in the school. So they're going to continue and the schools as they ever have to run run them successfully, and they're going to um, forward the bills to the Department uh, of Education because the Department of Education, while they're talking about putting some packets together, they haven't put a package together and the problem is here and now and we continue yeah. okay let's let, let, let's talk through that because in the budget schools received a once-off 90 million euro energy subsidy and the department is saying that's going to cover the bills but do we know when that 90 million gets divvied out that's the problem you see the schools are in trouble right now it's a bit like the, the giving the free bus tickets we'll, we'll, we'll give the free bus tickets and we'll announce that and then we won't announce that there's going to be a crisis all over parts of my own uh, constituent West Cockwell in relation to bus tickets they haven't you know well they promised 90 minutes it hasn't been uh, divided out and it hasn't been exp- uh, explained to them how this money is going to be given to the schools and that needs to be done immediately it needs to be done like we were calling for a, a mini budget a number of months ago and that's what the government should have uh, ex- accepted at that time that there was a crisis at that needs to be dealt with. They should have had a, a mini budget to deal with schools and deal with other areas that were having a, a problem. Unfortunately, we seem to be firefighting. So everybody uh, is at the, at, at, at the point of closure, at the point of disconnection, uh, at the point of not able to pay for their oil bill. And the department haven't yet put in place what, what measures are going to be given, what schools, what kind of money schools are going to be given. So, you know, the parish priest or the local church can continue to uh, to try and bail the schools out for a period of time. But how long is that going to last? When yeah, is money and, going to be and, and my fear would be that that 90 million, when it gets, you know, divided between primary and uh, the secondary schools, and don't you know, it'll be, it'll be divided up similar to the way they do the capitation grant. It'll be divided up depending on how many pupils you have and then straight away your smaller school which typically is in a rural area they'll get the least amount of money yet they still have to pay the heating bills and many of those are in older buildings that are not insulated properly and they could even have higher bills than a larger school down the road who will be receiving more money if it's based on per pupil and it probably will be broken up per, per, per head won't it? Most likely, that's the way they've done with the capitation. When the capitation got is very unfair in its own right for national schools in particular. And as I said, and on board of management, I see difficulties. People trying to go to their fundraise for things that should be an automatic given right that a child should get at a school, uh, doing cake sales or whatever to try and bring the school finances up a small bit so they can pay pay bills. And unfortunately. The basic human right to have a little bit of heat in your school and to have the lights turned on the computers or whatever that's needed inside the school. It's it's creating a massive headache for principals, creating a massive headache for teachers that are just can't understand or can board of management can't understand or how are, is the next bill going to be paid. Okay, but well if if that ninety million euro energy subsidy, which is one off by the way, uh, for this year, if that isn't enough, I heard Minister for Education Norma Foley say that if that doesn't cover all the costs, and she's saying to schools, talk to the Department of Education. So that's your initial point. Let them just send the bills to the Department of Education and see what happens. That's what the, uh, the, the INTO and a lot of the 
and I met quite a lot of the teachers from there that said, this is this no choice. We have, we just send the bills, we can pay, uh, we, we can co- continue to turn to the church to pay our others. We have to know, turn, and we can't be expecting parents to pay because they're already crucified themselves at home with these electricity bills. The problem here, Patricia, of course, is the bigger picture is that we have been taught, we're totally dependent on, 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 on bringing our fuel and gas from, from the UK and, and that's left us wide open here in this country. We could have provided our own and then G floating gas terminals, beautiful clean uh, fuel system uh, here in this country. It's been proposed, uh, proposals put to Eamon Ryan, uh, proposal about barrier oil uh, drilling. Everything has been put on the long finger. We're now almost 100% soon, depending on Great Britain. They're talking about turning the lights off. If they turn their lights off, I, I, I don't know how long more is this trust going to carry us on our back, uh, the Republic of Ireland. Uh, we've left ourselves wide open here in this country and this government have been sleepwalking through this crisis and unfortunately it's only what we get in this 90 minutes is only kicking the can down the road because this problem is going to rise again and again and again because we have no energy security ourselves, independent energy security in this country, which we could have. If we couldn't have it, I'd have to accept it. We certainly can have it and we haven't We haven't even thought or discussed it. Um, the only discussion that's on the table with Minister Ryan at the moment is pouring ready mix into the concealed uh, gas gas field and that would be a national sabotage if that goes ahead because that can bring uh, you know energy uh, energy gas through that and clean clean gas to that uh, pipeline if they use existing pipelines that we have already so look schools are, are, are facing this problem community centres are facing this problem parish halls are facing is energy bills that they can pay and unfortunately yeah. they talk about you know renewables and everything come, they're not there at the moment and I'd love to think when they come, they work, but they're not here at the moment. Okay, it is, as, as one of the bishops said, it's, it, it is going to be a, a disastrous uh, winter uh, for so many. Just also staying on the budget with the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, I, I'm sure you heard her say following the budget, because she thinks that €90 million Euro is, is a very generous energy subsidy. She said that no school should be asking parents for voluntary contributions uh, this year. And that's... That's certainly not what we're hearing. We're, we're hearing from parents saying they've either already paid the voluntary contribution or the, skill, the school is still looking for the voluntary contribution. What are, you, are you hearing that on the ground? I certainly am. And they, they, it's, I'm a bit surprised that uh, Minister Foley, because she's a te- former teacher herself, so she should be well aware of the voluntary contributions. Only for the voluntary contributions that parents and families are giving, uh, schools would be in, in a dire situation. So, you know, a lot of schools you know, might be gently persuading to get the voluntary contribution of the parent, but a lot of schools are so totally dependent that they might sometimes be a bit more pushy to get that type of money. And it hurts the parent because some of them are, you know, struggling as well. So um, it's unfair to say that that's not necessary. It's completely and sadly utterly necessary. And and, and as it's coming from a board management perspective, that's what I can see in schools on a daily basis. And I can well see where some schools are seriously and severely struggling. And when they're having to have cake sales and, and, and God only knows what, to try and keep doors open in schools, we're going down a very dangerous road. And unfortunately, Patricia, that's the road that was travelling for the last eight or ten years. And there wasn't an energy crisis. We now have an energy crisis on our on our backs. And, and 90 million is, is, is kicking a can down the road a bit, but at least it's some, I'm not going to uh, say that it's not good enough, but it certainly is only going to initiate and resolve this year. We're going to have a serious crisis, even maybe further and worse okay. next year. Okay, and just before I let you go, seeing as you mentioned the school buses, has that, and again, Norma Foley came out and said everyone who had got a concessionary ticket in previous years, she was saying after the budget, she got extra funding from the Exchequer for for the school bus system and that everybody would get a seat. Has that... Problem been sorted out yet? No, 
Yeah, it hasn't in many schools. It's some it maybe they some have uh, their cases are known. I think the whole thing is up in a heap. I, I just look at w- one thing. I have two staff in, in my office that told me uh, one child isn't going to school any longer. That child got a ticket, never applied for it. Another uh, person has a different arrangement, never applied for a ticket, and got a got a ticket. Two got tickets they shouldn't have got. How many people have got tickets that they don't need, didn't ask for? Um, and sadly, children that deserved it, whether they were in Bendon, whether they were in Clannacilty, or wherever they were, throughout West Cork, because I, I have people all over from Goleen, Castledumbear, all the way east along Skibberine and Bantry, didn't get tickets, that should have got tickets, that did get tickets before. The, the, the message was very, very simplified. You didn't give free tickets without expecting surely that there was going to be an increase, and the buses that were, that were able to carry 15 or 20 before obviously you would have to have a bigger Yeah and then we heard of I mean, we heard of one mother she was very honest to admit it, that uh, her daughter only needs the school bus on a Wednesday afternoon coming home that's the only time she was stuck uh, for somebody to collect her, her daughter and uh, so they, she took the bus ticket because she was entitled to it she never used it before but took it to sort out her problems on a Wednesday but it means her seat for every other day is free and yet there's lots of children queuing up would love to be on that and nobody else can get on, on the bus it's, it's, it's really yeah, it's it, and and we have the the two lads in North Cork who are who are going to work or going to school tractors. on the tractors. God yeah, Almighty, doesn't bear thinking of. All right, listen, we leave it there. We'll talk again, Michael. Thank you for thanks that, you. and uh, thanks uh, for joining me. Uh, Texter in Saint Patricia can't for the life of me understand why schools will be going to their local parish priest to ask them to pay for their electricity bills. Surely the school and the principal should be going to, to the Department of Education and putting pressure on the minister. I'm sure she won't want to be seen to let a school close as a result of not being actually able to pay an electricity or a heating bill. 0818 103 103 lines open. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Some of your comments uh, coming in. It might be hard on churches particularly after COVID to pay their bills but I've yet to visit a church during the day when there was actually uh, heating on. It's always been that way that the heating only goes on during mass times but I suppose what the bishops are also highlighting is the community halls and the parish facilities the parish halls uh, be, you know when they open those up for any meetings or any groups and lots of people uh, particularly in very rural areas the only venue that they have to go to particularly when the local maybe the last pub might have closed down and the parish hall can be the centre of uh, a village or an area uh, they certainly for any kind of meetings like that they certainly would need to have have um, heating on so yeah but maybe inside in uh, churches but they are also talking about I suppose maybe the lighting the lighting in inside in the churches that uh, there would be a money issue uh, there uh, Hi Patricia on the rising uh, energy prices I can't believe that dentists are looking for aid from the government now with additional costs that they've incurred didn't the dentists raise their prices to cover sanitation when Covid struck and the last time I was at a dentist I didn't see any additional sanitising uh, people were coming and going in and out of the waiting room I didn't see anybody wiping down any seats etc uh, when the price when the prices that dentists in this country I think they have a bit of a cheek now to be looking for any kind of help it really is becoming a bit of a free for all now in my opinion thanking you and what that listener is picking up on is that it's not just uh, dentists it's a number of other uh, professions GPs are in there as well along with dentists opticians 
There's also accountants, solicitors, engineers, architects and financial advisors. They're all now seemingly ineligible for the programme that was announced. The government announced this programme. It's a temporary business energy support uh, scheme. And they've announced it for uh, businesses, but they've now discovered that they, the professions are not to be included. They're ineligible for the programme. Uh, that programme is promising up to 100,000 uh, for businesses that are hit with soaring energy costs. But the dentists and the accountants, the opticians, uh, they're not going to be included. The reason is the scheme covers only so-called case one income which is money a business makes from trade and professional services are categorised by revenue as case two businesses so they're not to be included will we hear more from the dentists the doctors and the opticians only time will tell now Christmas could be a more traditional feel this year that's according to the Corkman newspaper with their front page a story they're reporting this week that a number of councillors have called for the switching on of the festive lights to be delayed until at least December 8th in order to combat escalating energy costs. One of those councillors is uh, from Oi-based councillor Frank O'Flynn who joins me. Good morning to you, Frank. Um, good morning, uh, and, Patricia. And, and good morning, listeners. You're welcome. Oh, um, when, when did we start switching on Christmas lights earlier? It was always the, the 8th of December, wasn't it? Patricia, you know what, you'll be coming from the rural island. It was always the 8th of December. That was the traditional day when people went shopping and when fa- and Christmas is every know it is about it is for families it is for friends and it is for children especially and uh, and many many people who are abroad come home and it's a time of celebration and of course a get together and it was always a tradition the 8th of December was the commencement date we had that in many towns and villages but then about three years ago it was decided that we'd switch back to the 1st of December and some people actually went back into maybe this third or second Friday in November. Now, some parents are saying to me, Frank, um, the very the children go back to school, the shops are even ready for Christmas. But I'm getting quite a lot of support. And people said to me, with the energy crisis that we have now, what are council doing? And I think uh, we should look at, and I've asked people in different towns and villages, look at going back to the traditional day of the 8th of December. And leave them on until when? The 6th of January? The 6th, the 6th of January. And I also put in a, 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 a proviso there that the 6th of January should be the 6th of January. We had situations the last couple of years when some towns, they had them on up to the summer. We had and so many listeners that used to get annoyed about that saying why are the Christmas yeah. lights uh, uh, st- still on mm-hmm. and also the Christmas lights being left on overnight that happens in some areas as well That's, that's another thing I asked I think with new modern technology there's no reason why they, they couldn't be turned off maybe, maybe the weekends lead them on until 2 o'clock in the morning but definitely during the week, most towns and villages now, you know, Patricia, you could t- play a score of balls from 7 o'clock in the evening. I saw no reason why they couldn't be up from 7 o'clock at night and also to use all LED lighting. And of course, the importance that would take him down early was you're doing less damage. The cost of repairing some of those, they're hanging off of trees, hanging off of this, hanging off of windows. There are some towns, I'm not going to name them, it was a shame. They were nearly up half the summer. But we, but we definitely need festive lights this year. I mean, because remember, need, yeah, cause some I'm people were talking about favor, should we not have Christmas I'm lights. Fa- I'm very much in favour of celebrating Christmas. And I'm, it's a family occasion. It's for the children. It's for our loved ones who come from abroad. And, and, and it's time for families come together and they celebrate. But definitely a lot of people said to me, Frank, the 8th of December is an ample leading time. 
And I feel, I don't know why we actually went away from it, because the vast majority of towns and villages used to go for the 8th of December. It was a big day in the country long ago. It was the day that people went to town. Your mother went to town. She did the shopping either in the city or the local town. It was a day of celebration. It was, of course, it was a holiday that day. And I think maybe it might be no harm to go back again. The old, the old ways are often the best. But, of course, big thing I'm saying here, we are in an energy crisis. We have two uh, suppliers yesterday increasing their charges again. We have told from some of the reports from the Dáil yesterday there's no, that it's not going to stop. And I think we should do our part in reducing carbon footprint. And I think a reasonable compromise, and I got fair um, support from councillors said to something we should look at. So I'm saying the towns, they should look maybe at the possibility of going this year because of the situation of the crisis in the energy and also to help our part in reducing the carbon yeah. footprint. Ha- have the Christmas lights by all means, but just limit the, ti- the time. Yes. By the way, uh, Cork County Council, do they provide grants to all of the towns for the we do. erection of the Christmas lights? We provide lights? grants, and we provide grants to uh, most of the towns and uh, throughout the county, and, uh, and there's a big help. The towns will tell you, without them, there'd be no lights whatsoever. And, of course, must remember, that's taxpayers' money, and we must be seen to spend it properly, and I think we should play our part in reducing the carbon footprint and I think this is one way what I'm saying is to the towns look at it um, and now everyone said to me Frank the 6th of December uh, 6th of January should be the 6th of January not the 78th 9th or 10th they should come, and also a lot of them said that we should look at turning them off at night because we had a similar last week Patricia in for my, for my forum and we had a speaker on energy and he said the best way to reduce energy is turn it off Turn mm-hmm. it off three times. He said, Turn it off, turn it off. And he said, Now, we, in Cock County Council, we are doing an audit of all our buildings. We're not going to have lights on all day and all night in offices. And we're also looking at maybe restructuring some of the working patterns that we can play our part in reducing the carbon footprint. Now, we're doing it at, at the county level, at county council level, and all the, and all the offices. So I see no reason why. It's something, uh, some people have said to me, Frank, why not go back to the traditional way? The 8th of December was the start of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think I can see a lot of people are saying uh, at last a little bit of common sense uh, coming out from a politician. This is exactly what we need to do. There was nothing wrong with the old tradition of the 8th of December through to the uh, 6th of January. And somebody else uh, says having the lights on. Many some of the cities actually put their lights on as early as November. That's absolutely crazy. We don't need it. And it's driving the kids mad to bring in, to bring in Christmas a little bit um, too early. And so Cork County Council provide grants. Do, do, do the grants cover the cost of the electricity then for the switching on of the lights? Well, in, in some cases they may. In some in, in some towns then uh, the businesses would uh, help out. Other towns the, the business would make a contribution. In, they do collections in different parts of town. Like in Formoy, they do collections in different parts of the town. But the, the, the council would make a generous uh, grant to the towns in relation to repair and the uh, upkeep and also for putting up the repair them, Patricia, in some cases is absolutely crazy. And uh, if you've lights up for the next three or four weeks and you can get a very bad weather in late January, February, and you got phone calls last year, lights were up going into the month of May and June in some yeah, towns. Yeah. It's not on. Yeah. And, yeah uh, okay. It's too costly and I think it's all about reducing our carbon. And I'm saying Cock County Council can play, play, play their part. And got no, I got numerous phone calls that said, Frank, there's a very reasonable request. We can still have Christmas. Most parents are saying to me, Christmas starts too early. Yeah. They're just uh, they're just on the school bus where they have a school bus. And next thing, Christmas... Uh, People are talking about Christmas already. Christmas, All right. Christmas starts. Okay, and listen, oh, bef- be, before I let you go, uh, the Mallow to Mitchestown Road, uh, the work uh, at long last is underway. Is that completely closed 24-7? 
And well, it started about three weeks ago. It's closed now since last Tuesday morning. We had some hiccups because there is, uh, many, many people know some of our roads uh, around um, uh, Castellan Roach, around Shamblemore and around Kildallery, they weren't capable of taking the heavy transport. They were late in some cases putting up the, the, the signs. All of us crossed there. There was heavy lorry going through all day Tuesday and all day yesterday. I got onto the guards and I got onto the, the contract. They seem now had to have it under control, but there's still some drivers, Patricia. Still some drivers, they should know better. The main road from Mallet into from I is a, a, a great road. They're still going up and down by roads. And in either case, that's where two lorries jacked out inside in a very narrow road. And oh. they're going to destroy those roads and the cost of replacing yeah, those. And, and, and I can already signed. see this morning we've had uh, calls in from people who live on the road from Oliver's Cross to Kildallery getting very annoyed. Um, and they're saying that people are still continuing to drive on that road. Then they realise yeah. the road is closed. They have to turn inside in people's driveways. And somebody's wondering, is the signage, is, is, there, is there clear signage up to say the road closed. I asked for signage. They told me they'd give me extra signage. I brought it up with the superintendent. I rang him again this morning and they assured me that the signage was on the way. They said they put a flagman at Oliver's Cross. They also said they, at Bill Joe Griffin's there, bear, which is famous. They also said they'd put a sign there because uh, lorries were going right up to it, taking all day to turn, yeah. damaging drivers and also damaging... It's not good enough. That's they correct. didn't do their job properly. In fact, they, they put on the notices on the paper, but they didn't put up the signage and they didn't carry it out the way it should be yeah, done. Yeah, you need and very clear signage. Roads suffering. It's not good enough. OK, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you for that, Frank, uh, as, as always. Thank you, Patricia, uh, thanks, and thank you, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, from Moy-based Fianna Fáil, County Councillor Frank O'Flynn. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And comments coming into the programme on Christmas and Christmas lights that we spoke to with uh, Frank O'Flynn, with the Frank and indeed other councillors as well, backing his suggestion. Let, let's put up the Christmas lights in all of our towns and our villages and our, our city centres and our shops, but don't put them up too early. And he reckons this is a way it'll help with the energy crisis and it'll also help with us not using so much electricity. But obviously the big one is it'll help with the bills. John is in Cove. He said uh, Christmas lights won't put food into anybody's belly this year. He said a candle in the window. Carol singers going door to door late in the evening singing carols. That is what the real true Christmas should be about. But over the years Christmas has become so commercialised it's all about money. We have followed what the Americans are doing. We've gone the very same way when it comes to Halloween. Look at the way we celebrate Halloween now compared to what we did in previous generations. We're taking up all of the American traditions. Even St. Patrick's Day, says John and Cove, is turning into a weekend affair just to commercialise it. It's all gone down to money and greed and a lot of that is ruining our planet, says John in Cove. Yvonne in Skibbereen agrees with Councillor Frank O'Flynn in Fomoy. Uh, we go way too early now when it comes to Christmas and much more, more, much earlier than we actually need to. If we went later this year, Yvonne also f- feels it would put a lot less pressure on businesses who are already struggling to, and they're the ones who have to contribute to the cost of those uh, lights. Julie says, get a life. After two years of COVID, let us have a Christmas this year like never before. Let's uh, let let our children and our grandchildren and all of us have fun. So uh, Julie's of the view we need to double up on the lights and leave the lights on even longer. Hi, Patricia. This is a Fomoy listener. Myself and my family 
we've decided we'll only be putting on the Christmas lights for maybe two or three hours on Christmas evening. The reason being the electricity bill. It's a scandalous disgrace to have to even do these uh, things, but we feel we've no other choice. What are the government doing to sort out all this uh, mess? Uh, Not having a lot of faith in the government at the moment. Also, Patricia, while I'm on to you, what is happening about the state of the main street in Formoy? It's a lot worse now. Soon enough, you're going to need to have a tank in order to have to drive on the disgraceful, what is now disgraceful, Main Street. That's from from oil. Yes, that's we did any of that text in with Frank O'Flynn. We'll try and check in with Frank to see if there's any plans to update the Main Street in from oil. According to this listener, it's in a right old state at the moment. OK, back to energy costs and churches and keeping churches and parish halls warm. Somebody said a church to keep warm you're kidding me when have you ever known a church to be nothing but freezing I suppose the church will be happy with this because guess what they'll be able to bring out the donation box says this uh, listener okay also coming in to us on WhatsApps uh, hi Patricia enjoying your show while painting the kitchen good on you you're having a productive Friday my four year old goes to a country school and I absolutely hate to think of him being cold in side in the school and he may be cold this year due to conservative energy policies within the school. Could the mums and the nanas or whoever can knit, knit little chair covers to keep the little ones a little bit more snuggly while in school. Plus, I wonder could schools allow the children to bring in their own little fleece blankets or have a blanket box that they could... uh, Put, store the blankets in and then on a cold day they could put them over their little legs on the freezing days. Plenty of parents would put their hand up to help with washing and drying and supplying a few blankets to keep the little ones warm this uh, winter. So worried about her little four-year-old. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of the the mammies and the nanas would be only too glad uh, to do some knitting. Actually, talking of nanas, just to give you advance warning of a chat that I'm really looking forward to next uh, Monday. Alice Taylor's latest book is called The Nana. It's just the most delightful book. I mean, not all of Alice's books are wonderful, but this one just gave me such a snuggly, warm uh, feeling. And she talks about her own nana and she talks about all of the different grannies and grandmas and just the influence that nanas have on grandchildren's lives and I've always said that I've always think, thought it's one of the most important things that you can do for a children is to have your child around grannies and granddads granddads play a role as well but I think from a young age if you can have grandparents having some kind of an interaction a really positive interaction with their grandchildren they get hugely, hugely benefits uh, children. And I'll be chatting with, looking forward to chatting on Monday morning with Alice Taylor about her newest book, which is, uh, is simply called The Nana. Uh, we'll chat about that on Monday. OK, back to your text. Hi, Patricia. I thought the price of diesel was decreasing. I purchased diesel last week. I got it for 185.9. And by the way, it had been at that price for the last number of weeks. Decided I need to fill up again at the same service station only to see that the price has gone up to 195.9, 10 cent of an increase in the week. Needless to say, I went to another service station and did manage to get it for 189.9. But in that particular garage, it had dropped from 191.9 last week. Not happy with that. Why is there a rise in the price of uh, diesel when there has been no increases recently? And actually, I spoke about that during the week. I was saying it was almost like the prices had stagnated. They kind of stayed at the one price. I would hate to think if they're starting to go back up again, but certainly looking at that uh, text 
uh, it does look like it, doesn't it, that it's starting to go uh, back up. And look, I can see people sending in WhatsApps identifying with the star, star in the car is you're too early, you're too early, you're going to have to resend those WhatsApps uh, later on uh, because it won't get entered into the draw unless they come in during the period of time when we open up the texts and the WhatsApp. So hold off on that, uh, please. Um, Mike in Bantry says, Patricia, look, everyone is very worried about a cold uh, winter and everybody's worried about energy costs and all of that with the energy prices having gone up again this week. But Mike says, fingers crossed, we might get a very mild winter. Wouldn't it be great if uh, we did? Um, And Mike also says the ceilings in the church are just always so high. A lot of the heat escapes. So when they do uh, put on the heating in the churches, they're losing a lot of it, which is, yeah, 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 you're 100% right uh, on that. But yeah, all we can wish for is a mild uh, winter because, I mean, the worst thing we could have is a cold spell with no wind because we need the wind for the wind generation as well. And actually, I heard on our news bulletin there at with Pierce at 11 and I'd actually made a note to mention it today because I saw Neil Grant general manager of the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Garbury tweet about this uh, yesterday uh, and it's to do and I've, I've spoken with Neil Grant many many times on this programme for a variety of different issues uh, to do with the hotel uh, industry but of late I've spoken to him about energy prices and the cost of electricity going into hotels and other hospitality but he was waiting for his electricity bill for the month of August to arrive and it finally did arrive and he shared it on Twitter his, the electricity bill for the Celtic Ross beautiful beautiful hotel in Ross Garbury €24,669 huge huge bill but compare that to August of last year August of 2021 when the hotel was fully back up and running and, and open uh, the electricity bill last year was 8833 so it has tripled in price gone to over 24 and a half thousand euro and Neil pointed out that that scheme that's been put in place that I mentioned for for businesses the temporary business energy support scheme that got announced in the budget that doesn't kick in for the month of July or the month of August he says that should now be uh, reconsidered because he said the level of support while it's very much appreciated it all still isn't even welcomed welcomed uh, it's, it's welcomed but the support isn't going to be enough because even if you look at that from a practical point of view even if the support was in place to cover that bill it won't cover all of the bill what the Celtic Ross Hotel would have to do is they'd have to take away what they paid last August which is the 8,833 they take that away from their bill of 24,500 euro and then they'll only get 40% of that uh, amount up to a limit of 10,000 so it's you know it's you can understand why hotels are really, really struggling. And you can also, when people are complaining when they're going into hospitality, uh, why they're paying so much, why, you know, some things are going up or why hotel prices are going up. I mean, those those kind of electricity bills cannot be maintained. I mean, literally, no matter what they would even be charging for hotel rooms, even if people could afford to pay huge sums of money for hotel rooms, nobody's going to be able to make enough money to cover those kind of prices. That's on the top of everything else going up. And I was looking in the paper today of a little... 
it's a Dublin, uh, well it's not little because it employed uh, 30 people, but it's a Dublin food uh, business and they're forced to shut down. They've simply said can't keep up with the spiralling costs. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Sam Pearson and he's the owner of a vegan sandwich company and he's ended up having to close his two shops. He'd one in Smithfields and one on St. Stephen's Green. He actually had a third store in Rathmines but he shut that a few months ago in a bid to try to save the business in the hope that he could keep the two city centre ones uh, open. But he said week on week costs have gone up. He said every week he was getting an email from suppliers saying something else had become more, more expensive. And then he said one of the main ingredients that they used that doubled in price overnight and he said he needed to say that his energy bills across the business have at least doubled if not uh, trebled. He said we're also in a cost of living crisis not just for the business but for the people as well. So he said people have less money to spend. He said all businesses are feeling that. People are nervous. People don't have as much income. And he said it's a perfect storm. You've got sales decreasing and costs uh, increasing. So there's another business that has had to close. And at the when he had the three uh, little cafes up and running at the height of um, when the three stores were doing well, the height of his popularity, he was employing 30 staff. And they've all since had to be left to go as the business has gone into liquidation. You know, and he talks about the staff and how they've all become like a little family and how difficult it was for him to have to let the staff uh, go. And, you know, for the cafe industry right now, he said, you know, all we're seeing is increased costs and very little uh, support. And he said, I know that some support came in in the budget and the energy costs, but it's not going to help him out. It's just it would it just simply wouldn't be enough. And that saddens me because that's we're going to see. Well, that's a Dublin one I'm talking about, but we're unfortunately going to see more and more of those small businesses close. 0818103103. I was talking about the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road and we've been getting calls in saying, is it fully closed? Is it closed 24-7? It is, but people are still unfortunately using the road and a lot of people now. And in fairness, when I said it to Councillor Franco Flynn, he said he's tried to highlight it as well. There doesn't seem to be proper uh, signage. Sean in Mallow said from Kildarry to Shamble Ballymore, there's a road called the Bog Road. There should be no truck left on that Bog Road. He said, I don't understand the lack of signage with regard to these roads. They really need to put really need to put better signage and somebody else says that last weekend there was a sign it wasn't at Oliver's Cross telling people that that road is closed but he said it was back before that at Munster Bovine and the old creamery uh, yard and he said that simply just isn't uh, good enough and can I give a big shout out to Martin in Fomoy one of our listeners who contacted us earlier in the week and I said keep us informed Martin is still off the fags as he says well done uh, he's been off them now since last uh, Tuesday he's using a nicotine inhaler good luck Martin and keep us updated we really are keeping our fingers crossed for you and hoping that this will be the time that you'll finally kick the habit for good 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs Sales assistant with some customer service experience that's required for Mallow CVs please in a cover letter to sales at crystalearth.ie Jones Agri there in Ballydesmond they've got a vacancy for a general operative with welding or fabrication experience 087 294 6881. The Avenue newspaper in Fomoy, they're recruiting for a person for creative design in their production team. They're also looking for an admin assistant. You need to have good IT skills. Email your applications, please, to editor at avendupress.ie. And a bakery manager is wanted for Centra in Drimmer League. Call 087 311 2807. 
You'll find all the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Daftmortgages.ie are urging mortgage holders in the face of rising costs to control what you can control. And one of those is your mortgage. And by switching it, you could save yourself thousands of euro. To give us advice on switching, I'm joined by Paul Monaghan, who is General Manager of daftmortgages.ie. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Now, you've looked at some of the figures. On average, talk us through what can people expect to save by switching? Okay. So um, we, we found from our own customers that 87% of mortgage holders would save on their mortgage from the very first monthly payment if they switched to the best available rate for them. Um, the average saving is around €90 Euro per month. And um, considering that interest rates might rise, you know, we advise people to fix and we're looking at people saving on average um, €9,000 over a four-year fixed term. So there's ongoing savings by locking into a fixed rate. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I heard um, you were speaking a few minutes ago about the, you know, the rising cost of energy. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. You can't cap your electricity bill, but you can cap your mortgage is the, is the way I try to get across. So in, mortgage rates in Ireland have been falling for about 10 years, but we're at the bottom of the U now and they're starting to go up. Now, but the thing with mortgages, though, is that fixed rate mortgages are available. And by, by, by switching and fixing with a new lender or fixing with your own lender, um, you're, you're locking in today's interest rates. And, up, you know, interest rate rises have started a little bit and are coming. So fixing now and locking that in now um, lets people cap their monthly repayment and, and save. Um, and are people switching at the moment, Paul? Is there evidence there of that? So, um very few. Um, so th- this year in Ireland, you know, one point something percent of people will will switch their mortgage provider. Um, uh, so it's 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 very small. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, first up, uh, people say to us that oh, I'm on a, I'm on a fixed rate mortgage. Uh, that means I'm locked in until the end of that. Um, that's you know not true for, not true in reality. So around half of mortgage customers in Ireland are on a fixed rate. Um, uh, and, the, you know, it would have been drilled into them when they took that out, that there's break fees if they try and get out early. Mm. Um, but at the moment, um, the way those break fees are calculated and so on, for most customers, the break fee is actually zero. Um, so so there's really nothing to stop them um, um, breaking. Um, they may have taken the fixed rate, you know, you know, two or three years ago, interest rates were a little bit higher then. Um, whereas if they break now, they can get today's, you know, bottom of the U lowest interest rates. Um, and, all, and also rather than, yeah, and, and rather than, rolling off next year and, and facing higher interest rates, they could kind of reset the clock and lock in for another four or five years now. Um, yeah. yeah, because I think there's a, there's always been a, a, a tradition in this country, isn't it, that you stay with the mortgage provider uh, and you yeah. never switch. It's just like, it's almost like a tradition. It, it, um, uh, that, that's true. And, and Ireland's switching rates are lower than other countries, um, uh, like the UK, for example. So, so there, there is a bit of an, an, an Ireland factor. But, I mean, I can understand at the same time, you know, why, you know, another reason is that people don't switch is because there's cost and effort involved. And, and I can talk through what that is if you'd like. Yeah, that it, was it, going to be my next question. Is it yeah. a difficult process? Okay. 
Um, so I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain what the, what the process is, and I'll just start by saying there is some cost and effort involved, and say that. And this is, I, I do want to get this across that for for customers there is actually another option, um, rather than rather than switching, which is you know fixing with your current lender, perhaps even breaking and and and, and fixing your mortgage rate with your current lender, which is which is kind of quick and free. Um, um, so switching the reason obviously why people switch is because you're you know you're shopping around you're getting the best available rates you're maximizing your savings in terms of the cost and effort um so it's like um applying for a mortgage like someone did when they applied for a mortgage and got their mortgage in the first place you know you you, you work with your mortgage broker or the bank your financial advisor and provide your documentations and, and you know, like your salary certificates your bank statements and things like that uh, to to your new lender and then you do have to um, meet with your solicitor um, and, and sign paperwork. And overall, the process you can expect to take two to three months. And the cost is in and around like two thousand euro. Most of that is the cost that you paid, the money that you pay to your solicitor. Um, now, it's um, the argument is it's, it's you know it's worth it. So you do it for the savings. For like I said, for our average customer that are fixing now and switching, we see them saving probably on average nine thousand euro over the next four years. Yeah, that so it's, well. Yeah, it's worth um, it's worth the two thousand, isn't it? Yeah, um, that, 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 that's the case I'd make. Um, but the, and but like I said, I can understand why some customers are are, are, are put off. Um, and and the, the that that's also why just you know really being on the customer side and 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 um, and getting across their options, they have the options. To call their current lender uh, and say what rate, what's the best available rates for me, and fix with their current lender, and that will take you know a phone call and a letter and a week, um, and that's the other option the customers have. And the thing I really want to get across is whatever you do, don't do nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. Please pick, please pick one of those two options. Okay, so some questions coming in. Well, you've you've already answered one with somebody saying, "I'm thinking of switching. Do I need a, do, do I need a solicitor again? You do need a solicitor. You do need to employ a solicitor." Uh, that uh, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Now it, uh, that that's correct. That um, it's you know budget fifteen hundred to two thousand for the solicitor. It's it's less legal work than when you bought their home, bought your home because it's not like um you know uh, taking ownership of of the home. It's just the switching the mortgage part. But yes, you okay. will need a solicitor. Deirdre says I'm on a tracker mortgage. My mortgage has gone up by about eighty euro a month. I've had two increases. I'm now looking for advice. Should I switch now? I'm still on a relatively low rate, but my fear is if they continue to uh, rise. Uh, it's going to get uh, higher. Um, what's the What's the best option for me? Okay, um, so obviously a tracker mortgage is something that can, you know contractually tracks the European Central Bank rate. Um, this is a great thing to have the last few years because the European Central Bank rate was zero, and most the, on average the tracker mortgage in Ireland was zero plus one percent on top, so the people were paying one percent. The European Central Bank rate has increased by 1.25% in the last few months. Um, and they have flagged that there's more to come. So that person who's seen who's seen their, uh, their repayment increase of 80 euro, that's because the European Central Bank have increased rates. And the European Bank in the communications are saying there's more to come. So that person can kind of take it as a given that, um, that unfortunately their repayments will go up if they stay on the tracker. Um, so... The average, I, I, you know, I don't know what that individual listener is, um, um, the amount that they're paying above the European Central Bank rate, but let's assume it's the average of around 1%. The average tracker customer now is paying, you know, maybe, you know, 23 2.4% interest rates. There are cheaper fixed rates on the market. So that person could, you know, lock in with their current lender or switch to a new lender and take, 
you know, even even a, a reduction or at least something that's in line with what they already have, and that would cap their mortgage repayments and avoid the future increases. Um, I would take financial advice on it, though. The, just the, the, the thing to bear in mind is, um, you know, if you give up the tracker, it's gone. <laughs> and it's, it's been a great thing to have the last few years, and it's possible that might come back in the future. And I think oh, we've no co- way of knowing that. We've no way of knowing. No, no so it, it depends on the person's circumstances. You know, if, if you're fearful in your monthly budget that, you know, if, if, you're, if your payments went up another 80 euro, that, that that would put you in a hard place, then I think that might be a really good reason to, you know, to cap now with what you know you can pay rather than face the fear of the unknown. Um, but so the thing I do is, you know, speak, speak to a mortgage broker or, or, or go on daftmortgage.ie. It's important just to talk to someone about your individual circumstances. They'll help you work out what your options are depending on your house value and your mortgage balance and all these kinds of things. But so that you have the that cusp listener has the real facts in front of them about what what the different repayment options for them are. If somebody's on a fixed mortgage and the fixed rate is up next year, should they be contacting the bank now? I'm delighted they're thinking like that and asking that. Like absolutely yes. You know, I'd really urge that listener to do that. Um, so, um, so they're on a fixed mortgage and their fixed rates up next year. Interest rates are rising. So when they if they did nothing and their fixed rate ended next year, they'd be looking at whatever rates are available then, and they're going to be higher than today. Like I said, most fixed rate customers can break their fixed rate now at zero fee. So I'd ask that person, contact your bank. And when they contact their bank, they're asking two things. They're asking, what rates can I get now, please? So that they know what they are, and it's likely less than, than or could be less than them, what they're on already. And number two, what's my break fee? And ho- hopefully the answer will be zero. And then, and then um, they can they can they can go from there. But likely um, choose a new fixed rate and just and um, do that today rather than next year. Okay, Alan's in Bandon. He says if you switch to a new bank for a lower rate and you go through the whole application for the mortgage, even though you've proven that you're paying back your mortgage, could the new bank turn you down if they feel you don't meet their criteria and that your wages aren't high enough? So, the short answer is yes. You know, it came up earlier, switching mortgage is like applying for a new mortgage. It's the same process. Um, now, I let you know, if someone has a mortgage already, a lender has already approved them. So um, unless there's been a big change in their circumstances, like their income has dropped or, or you know, maybe there's two people working with four in the household, one person is working now or, or something like that, you know, unless there's a change in circumstances, it's almost certain that they will be approved again. Okay, someone else wants to know, why can't banks give the lower rate for new uh, customers, but they won't give it to existing customers? Um, so there's different banks actually do different things on this. So a couple of banks have, you know, cheaper rates for new customers than for existing customers. But that's not true of them all. Some do have the policy of, you know, the rates are the rates, whether you're new or existing. Um, I think the question was, was, was why can banks give lower rates? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing stopping them um, is, is the short It depends answer, on the bank. It, it depends on the bank. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then a lot of people are saying, how do you find out if switching is the best move for you? Okay, um, it's to so, so it's to talk to a, a mortgage advisor. Um, I urge people to, you know, find a mortgage broker or go to daftmortgages.ie. I say find a mortgage broker because they can see all the lenders in the market and all the policies and all the rates and how long it's taking all the banks to approve and, and things like that and, and advise the customer to go to the you know the most favorable place. 
and by talking to the advisor they can you know um, um, run the numbers for that particular customer to see like you said how much they can save Okay but more than ever now is the time Yeah now yep. is the time. As you say, the worst thing you can do is do and nothing. Okay, are you busy at daftmortgages.ie? Uh, we are. Yeah. We are. We have, we have, um, we set up something a couple of weeks for this reason. It's a, it's a personalised savings report that you can just fill in your details on a form on the website and we'll send you back, you know, an email with, you know, uh, for your circumstances what the savings would be and it's been quite popular. So we're okay. trying to keep up with that. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with that. And Paul, listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. Good Patricia. morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Paul Monaghan there, General Manager of daftmortgages.ie. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A documentary simply entitled Vicky will open in cinemas around the country today and it follows mother of two Vicky Phelan's very public fight for accountability in the Savital Check scandal as well as her personal battle to simply stay alive. Stephen Teeps whose late beautiful wife Irene was one of those women who was failed by the Savital Check uh, programme joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to Stephen. Hi Patricia, thanks for having me on your show. Well, listen, always great uh, to chat with you. Now, I've I've seen the trailer and just even the bit of yeah. the trailer I've seen, it just looks um, really powerful. And I was hoping along with yourself to have, uh, also have on uh, Sasha, the uh, Sasha King, the director, but unfortunately she wasn't available this morning. But do you know how and why Sasha came up with the idea for this documentary and where did it all come from? Yeah, you know, it actually just happens. I was on another interview with Sasha um, two days ago, and from, from from what she, what Sasha was saying was, you know, like if you remember that time, I suppose Vicky entered all our lives was the twenty fifth of April two thousand eighteen when she stood in front of the High Court that time, and Sasha witnessed that also, and I guess felt an overwhelming need to reach out to Vicky because she's a, a filmmaker and a documentary maker, um, said you know like there's something here. That they should be documented, and um, I suppose reached out to Vicky, met with Vicky, and I suppose the relationship was formed um, not long after that. And they, they pretty much were, were filming it from, I suppose, probably like the middle of 2018, not the most recent dates, you know. And, um, and was that when Vicky first came on your radar? That would have been a year after Irene had passed away. Not, it wasn't even Patricia, it was nine months later. Um, so Irene passed away at the end of July 2017 and the 25th of April was when, um, like I said, was when, when, when Vicky won that case. And I guess Vicky winning that case was, you know, it was, I suppose, another woman in the media who's been failed by the healthcare system. But in addition to that, what really gripped the nation was when Vicky, like as sick as she was at the time, like she was only, she only had about two or three months to live at that point, you know, after getting a six month, you know, um, life expectancy from a, from a terminal diagnosis, stood up and said that she refused to sign a confidentiality agreement because there was other women affected by this and they also had a right to know. And I think it was that strength and courage and bravery to stand up to the system at that point that really gripped us all. And of course, that's also when, when I suppose Vicky would have entered my life because at the time, 17 of those women had passed away without ever knowing there was an audit that took place and results being put into their, their files and so on. And um turned out then that Irene was one of those women that had passed away. And of course, like, as I said, you know, I was at the time working, trying to hold down a full-time job, um, managing my own grief, but also that before and a two-year-old as well at the same time, you know. So 
I tried my best to ignore. <laughs> she yeah. killed me, ignore the feeling because I just didn't want to hear another cancer story. It had, you know, ravaged my house and we, it had left us at such a loss that, you know, I was done with listening to these cancer stories at the time. And it just kind of reached a point where, you know, you could, you could no longer um, ignore it, as we all know. At that point. And then you've gone on to be uh, an amazing campaigner that uh, a lot of us women can be very, very thankful for the work that you've done along with uh, the rest of uh, uh, Vicky and, and the, the rest of, of the women in, in the 221 uh, group. But you then obviously have over the years, Stephen, formed a great friendship with, with Vicky. Exactly. Like it, like I suppose at the time, at the beginning, I would have, um, you know, you, you have to make that um, that leap, you know, where, where you make your public, your story public, um, knowing that you can never undo that, you know. And for me, it was making it public to stand next to Vicky and support Vicky whatever way I can, but also for myself to find out exactly what happened to Irene in the system and get the answers and sit in front of the correct people and so on. So like what began kind of more like a working relationship and a campaigning together relationship um, formed into you know a really really good friendship and for me like I would have been like lost without Vicky for the last four and a half years on this campaign trail you know having her support and her and you know just being in all of her strength motivating you along the way but a friendship as well where you know we hang out as well and she's um, you know we actually went camping down in when she came back from America that time we, we, we snuck away her and her her youngest fella and myself and the two lads down to Timalique camping for two nights, you know. So, you know, we hang out outside of this as well, you know. And like, she absolutely oozes courage. Where does that come from, do you think? Where does it come from? I think it just comes from many places, but I think this constant fight when being given the cancer diagnosis, she's fighting trying to beat this illness but she's also fighting to be a mom as well and continue being a mom for as long as she possibly can and she speaks about the children who are just like Amelia and Dara are just two of the most amazing kids you'll ever meet and you know being there for them and you know things like holy communions and you know starting secondary school and all these milestones that she says out that she wants to be there for you know really does motivate her and the quality of life fighting for quality of life so she gets to spend time with her family um and actually do the normal things that families do instead of just being sick from treatment and cancer you know that really i think probably is the backbone of her motivation and strength yeah and i know you well, you've you've already seen the documentary i think i read in the paper you've seen it uh, twice um yeah what how do you think people will feel leaving the cinema firstly how did you feel leaving uh, having watched it I think I've been speaking to a number of um, journalists now at this stage, Patricia, who've um, who've been writing up about it, you know, the way they get access beforehand. And I've actually, I've done what you've done and I've asked them the question, you know, how how, how does it leave you feeling, you know? And um, even the other night, I sit next to my mother-in-law and we're watching it. I think, like, to describe the documentary as a whole, it's powerful. It is very powerful and it's very real. But the emotions at the end of it are that of deep sadness and anger as well. And I think it's sadness at the outcomes of like, you know, like what Vicky's had to do with the outcome of the likes of um, my late wife, Irene, and the, the Ruth Morrissey and so many other women. But again, the anger that, you know, the, that the spotlight that has been shone on, that, uh, I suppose women's health in general, and that we're constantly, you know, fighting this this corner always. And 
and um, it's just just a deep sadness and anger. I think is 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 what you're left. You know, it's like during the documentary, you will not hear a pin drop. It's so real, and it's it's one thing to listen to me or Vicky or your Lorraine or anyone talk about the scandal and what's going on with it on a day-to-day basis and the history of it and so on. But it's another thing to actually watch it on a big screen for when we talk about audit results, you actually see Vicky's audit results on the screen. It just makes it so much real. Um, there's kind of three stories going on in that documentary. One, of course, is the you know the scandal itself. Two is watching Vicky go fight this damn terminal illness and going through the different treatment options and this, the, the sickness part of it and all of that. And the other side of it then is the real Vicky feeling, the mother, the friend, and watching her uh, in, in his life as well. So real, powerful, and leaving with emotional sadness and anger for sure. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I really, I, I've, I can't wait. I really can't wait to see it. But I imagine it's one of those um, documentaries that you're going to watch, bring the tissues with you, because I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of tears uh, shed uh, while watching it. Vicky Alf has, has seen it, Stephen, has she? Oh yes, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. she's like, yeah. she's happy with it. How it's turned oh, out. Oh, of course, you know, and I think you know, like I said, I suppose it is Vicky's story. I suppose what I love about her most it's it's her story that's cemented now forever. Um, her voice telling it throughout. Um, you know, as time goes on, you know, as people try and make attempts, and the system itself might try and make an attempt to rewrite certain elements of it. But I think this is this kind of just puts it in stone and, and the story is there now uh, forever and I, I, I think that's the thing the important thing about it but yes bring tissues for sure yeah. there is some Joe real or like so like some beautiful scenes of her son I won't say what he says but you know it would rip the heart clean out of your chest just the love he has for Vicky, you know. And, and, I, and I'm so thrilled you know, this, that... And the, the sadness of it. I'm so thrilled that Sasha King has has decided to run with it at the cinema because I think it's a story that needs to be up there on the big screen because it's such a big, powerful story. Like, without doubt, like, it needs to be on the screen and every 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 woman in the country should go see it and many people have said that. Um, and I take it a step further that every man in the country should go see it too. So any woman that's thinking of going to it, drag the husband, partner, well boyfriend... Said. Well said. Whatever you got along, you know, uh, father, because, you know, while this is certainly about the women today, it's definitely also about the women in our future. And, you know, like no father wants to see their daughter go through what Vicky, Irene or anyone else has. It's a, it's it's one we all should watch. We all should be educated on. We should know what happened and um, and also know as well the brilliance of that person, Vicky Phelan as well, you know, so. Okay, and your own boys, Oscar and Noah, what are they now, nine and seven? Is it nine and seven? Nine and seven, seven yeah. <laughs> How are they doing? Uh, great. Um, yeah, they're doing very well. Uh, yeah, in school and everything. Noah gets a little clip in the documentary and the poor fella, she's like, he doesn't have a clue what it's about at all. So he's going around telling everybody he's in the cinema and he's in a movie. <laughs> Yeah. And like, sure, like, God loves us if you only knew what it was about. <laughs> but he, he, he don't, he's kind of bragging rights the moment about it. But sure, look, it's, it's, it's he's seven, we'll allow him have yeah. it, I think. And Vicky, how is she doing, um, Stephen? She's fine. Uh, you know, I think anybody, as, as we know, going through cancer has their ups and downs. And she went through a bad spell recently, but she's, as, as she does, best bounces back. And um, is doing all right again. Um, but like, as, as I think I've already said, you know, it's about quality you know and and yeah. you know, keeping pain under control spending time with her 
yeah, kids that's and what, what she gets that's back. That's what it's all that's about. All. That's what it's all about for now. Listen, pass yes. on our best wishes to, uh, to her. We'll do, of course. And uh, to your two adorable boys, uh, Stephen. As always, pleasure to talk Thanks, to you. Patricia. Thank you for that. Thanks for taking some time out. That is uh, the wonderful uh, Stephen Teep about that documentary, Vicky, which is to say it opens tonight. And I know the very closing scene of it is a picture of uh, Vicky on the beach. And she says in the documentary, I have a message from Anona Heron. I hope I have fought enough uh, for your future but now it's time for you uh, to take the baton and stand up for yourselves question everything the fight was for you that's the quote from the wonderful uh, Vicky Phelan and the documentary Vicky opens in all cinemas today uh, we wish uh, continued good health uh, to uh, Vicky Phelan she's a remarkable woman 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls our texts and whatsapps are open as well to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. It is now time for us to play the C103's Free Fuel of Friday. You're listening every Friday throughout the month of October uh, we're trying to help you out with your energy costs uh, this month every Friday we're giving away 100 euro free f- fuel vouchers and we'll be doing it right across the day on all of the day parts you have to identify the star in the car here's our first star in the car when I got that horse many years ago like 20 years ago nobody wanted it because he had a problem with his feet now, who is that lady? If you can identify that lady, I need you now to text in her name, please. Or you can WhatsApp it to 86 103 I need you the, the name of the star in the car along with your name and address, please. Uh, we'll leave it open for a short period of time because I imagine we're going to get a lot of reaction to this, even though I was hearing that some people were not able to identify who it was. When I got that horse many years ago, like 20 years ago, nobody wanted it because he had a problem with his feet. OK, get texting, get WhatsApping and then you're in with a chance. If you've got the correct answer, you're in with a chance of winning that €100 Euro, uh, free fuel uh, voucher. Uh, C103's Free Fuel Friday on East Co- with East Cork Oil. They serve Cork City and County and across Manchester for locations. You can see your local oil company dot ie. Always local, only on C103. It's a nice, it will be a nice, nice little prize for you on a Friday, a €100 Euro fuel voucher. Get dialing or get texting and whatsapping on that and while we are awaiting your texts and whatsapps to come in can I catch up on some of your texts coming into the programme today I mentioned Nana's in the last hour I did and I mentioned it in regard to anyone who has who has a much loved Nana at the moment or remembers the much loved Nana make sure you're tuned our way on Monday morning where I'll be speaking with the lovely Alice Taylor about her latest book simply entitled The Nana where she talks about all different types of Nana's and grannies and grandmothers and there's so many uh, everyone has a different name don't they in, it, certainly in my house it was uh, Nana other people call them Granny Gran Nan Grandma love Grandma that's uh, also a name lots of people have different ways of calling their grandmothers it just I think it, it, it varies from family to family it's almost like a tradition it was always Nana in our house 
and that's actually pa- being passed on now through the generations as well. Anyway, that's prompted a listener to say, I'm in my 60s now and our grand, that's what this listener used to call their, her grandmother, our grand, live miles away. We actually only got to see her maybe two, three times a year. But what I remember most was saying goodbye when we visit, when we used to visit her. As we were leaving after the visit, she'd grab you by the cheeks and she'd munch you. This meant she would be covering you with kisses all over your face. <laughs> the problem was that Grand had whiskers and she didn't have any teeth. <laughs> she was munching and smothering you with the kisses. And here's the lady now in her 60s still remembers that uh, well. They are the kind of stories we'll love to be hearing about next Monday. Uh, certainly when the lovely Alice Taylor joins us to talk about her book, which is an absolute delight. I, 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 I got it this week and I, I finished it yesterday. It's just... I love Alice's books anyway. I mean, anyone that listens to this programme will know I'm a huge fan of Alice, but this one is just utterly delightful. It's from start to finish. It just gives you a warm, snuggly feeling. And I'm telling you, it will bring back, it certainly did for me as I was reading it, it will bring back memories of your own uh, grandmother or your, and your own grandparents, but in particular, uh, your grandmother. It, it just, it, and you, I think through all the different grandmothers that she talks about, there'll be somebody in the book that will, absolutely say that was my grandmother uh, to a T. So I look forward to that on a Monday morning. Now we were talking about hotels and the cost of hotels and particularly we were talking about that astronomical electricity bill that came in in the month of August for the Celtic Ross in Ross Garbage. That's prompted a listener to say hi Patricia. Now I won't mention the hotel, the hotel's name because I know you're not allowed to call it out but I had a booking at the end of the month for myself himself and the two kids. Note now, I booked this back in August, booked it for a booking for the end of October, which obviously would be around the Halloween break, isn't there a midterm break there for the kids? Anyway, I got an email last night to say it's been cancelled with absolutely no explanation. Now, I immediately got onto booking.com as I'd booked through booking.com and I got a message back saying, sorry, they, I had been double booked. I thought that was a bit odd. And also, says this texter, I thought surely they'd have copped that since I booked it at the start of August. So I decided I'd ring the hotel direct this morning. I did. The receptionist told me they're now under go- a government contract and that all previous bookings needed to be cancelled. I asked for clarification uh, of what she meant by a government contract and was that to house Ukrainian refugees? And she, she told me yes. So the Irish people's money isn't good enough to keep these hotels anymore. Can you ask has this happened to anybody else? Now please note I'm not in any way racist or anything but where is this all going to end? And it's the huge disappointment of you know a little trip away end of the month when the children are on their Halloween break and then to just get an email like that out of the blue. Has it happened to anyone else? It has. Certainly back in the summer we had some calls in from uh, listeners who had that very same thing happen. I remember we ended up, I think we ended up getting accommodation for uh, a gentleman who was travelling from West Cork along with his family to Limerick. They were going for a graduation ceremony and the day before they discovered that their hotel had been cancelled for that very reason. It's uh, it's gone, gone under a government contract to house Ukrainian refugees and they were left high and dry and couldn't get any other accommodation and there was a big scramble on thing at the end we did, and then they were looking and having to drive to the graduation and straight back again when they wanted to have a little bit of a celebration. Massive, massive disappointment uh, as well. And it is heartbreaking when it happens like that with so little notice because even now 
I know we've got about three weeks away, but it'll probably even still be hard now to actually get uh, accommodation, particularly in the area. I don't, I don't know what area, where it was that you were hoping to uh, visit. But trying then to see it, I, I always try and see it from the others, from the hotel's point of view. If the hotels are getting these astronomical fuel bills in, can't you see why hotels are deciding to sign up for these contracts where they're guaranteed that their hotel is going to be 100% capacity, 100% booked and that the money is going to come in, I don't know, under the government pay every week, uh, every month. You can actually understand why hotels are going to do it. But the flip side of that, as this listener says, where is it all going to, going to end? What's going to happen you know, if any of us wanted to go away for a little bit of a break, what's going to happen when tourists want to come to uh, this country and, and spend their hard-earned cash, which goes into the local economy? We're back again to a housing crisis. We're back again to a situation where something has to be done long term for the Ukrainian refugees that are here with us at the moment. We're, I think, about 54,000 uh, because it's not right, right or proper for them to be expected to live full time in a hotel either. Ask any of our homeless Irish that in emergency accommodation that are put up in hotels it's, it is not it really is not ideal but my heart goes out to you it's yeah but yeah I can tell you now I mean we'll open the uh, the phone lines on it and see if can can do others have similar stories uh, to share but I certainly know during the summer months not that that's of any consolation to you but I do know in the summer months that we did have uh, people tell us that the exact same thing has uh, happened it's heartbreaking I really hope that you manage to maybe get an other accommodation with a similar price and that you're able to get away on your little break with your family. 0818 103 103. We were talking about mortgages in the last hour and I got this email in from a listener. Uh, we leave the name out because I don't know whether they want their name mentioned or not. But anyway, it says, good day. We want to buy a home and we applied for a loan which was approved in principle for €265,000. We managed to find a house to buy for 260000 and we put down a deposit of 10000 to secure the house. Then during the process, the bank suddenly informed us that the loan was now reduced to loan to value 80% and therefore we would have to come up with a deposit of €46,000. Who in the world has that kind of a money for a deposit at the moment? How come they gave us a 100% loan to value mortgage and then reduced it later? We simply can't understand. See, I, I was kind of taken aback then and I was saying to John Paul, I didn't think that, I thought that the rules were changed and that no bank could give a 100% loan to value mortgage and they can't. There was changes brought in back in, I think it was around 2015, there was changes brought into how much could actually, the central bank, it was 2015, there was regulations brought in to set the limits on the amount the banks were allowed to lend to buy a home and of course that all goes back to we saw what happened during the Celtic Tiger when 100% mortgages were given out and at times 110% mortgages were given out and then people ended up in all kinds of problems with negative equity uh, etc. So I did a quick quick check just to see what is the loan to value limit at the moment. For a first time buyer now I, do, I don't know if this tech, this emailer is a first time buyer if you are a first time buyer of your primary residence then the loan to value limit is 90% uh, and that applies on the full value of the uh, property. So therefore for first time buyers you need to have a 10% uh, deposit on your home. If, it, you, if it's a non first time home, it's a second house that you're buying, then the limit goes down. It's 80% 
of the loan to value, which is looking at what your bank is asking of you now, which means a 20% uh, deposit. And then for something that isn't your primary uh, residence, if you're, for example, if you're going for a buy to let property, the limit there is 70% uh, loan to value. So the fact that you're at 80%, do I take it that this you're not a first time uh, home buyer? But the fact that you were approved in principle for 265 the, the, the loan to value limit would still have applied on that €265,000. I mean, you're, you're caught now in a real dilemma. I would go back, particularly if you are a first time buyer, uh, because you could then get it down to uh, you coming up with a 10%. But even on a 10%, you'll have to come up with €26,000, uh, even though you've paid 10000 But that might be more doable uh, for you. But yeah, somebody who thought, once again, they thought they had their forever ever a home, uh, but obviously not. But they're the rules and they've been in place since uh, 2015 and they're set in place by the... Uh, central bank so no one is allowed no bank is allowed to offer you a 100% loan to value on some would say unfortunately others say for the right uh, reason because look what happened during the Celtic Tiger 0818103103 on Christmas and do we celebrate Christmas too early an emailer also says Patricia I agree with the 8th of December should be the commencement date for Christmas celebrations that date is so so important it being the Immaculate Conception of Mary, the mother of God. Yes, maybe with all this happening, the secular world has been given a message on patience here and we are simply celebrating Christmas uh, too early. Yesterday I mentioned the fuel allowance and I will be reminding people of this again, certainly as we head into the new year because we know the income limits for the fuel allowance is changing and it means people who had been turned down for fuel allowance in the past will suddenly find themselves eligible for fuel allowance but you need to apply for it but you won't be applying for this under the new rules until uh, the 1st of January next. That prompted somebody to say, Patricia, where do you get the forms for the Fuel Allowance Lovely programme? Thank you very much. If you go into the post office, most of the post offices will have the Fuel Allowance form. You can also get them if you pop into any Department of Social Welfare office, they'll have them. And I've certainly seen them online as well. If you've access online, you're able to download them online. And yesterday we were talking about people who get something faulty or get some food item that wasn't up to scratch and people them people sending them rather than going back to the supermarket or the shop where you purchased purchased them people sending them back to the company that made them and what did they get in return well somebody says Trisha a few years ago I bought a package of fig rolls in a supermarket they were very brown in colour more yeah, fig rolls shouldn't be, they should be kind of a tan colour, shouldn't they? Anyway, I decided I would send a few of them back to the company to say, look, I opened up my packet of fig rolls and look what I got. Two weeks later, I got a box back with a box back, a package back with four of the very big packets of fig rolls and a letter inside saying, so sorry, you didn't enjoy our uh, biscuits. And um, so, so I was delighted that I was the, the, the and that so you can send something back if you're not happy with it. And was still, others were saying because this got kicked off by the listener who sent back the dog biscuits and has heard absolutely nothing since. And she sent it in July. Others are saying, tell that a lady to have a little bit of patience. Sometimes it takes a few months for them to sort out sending back some kind of a refund. But most businesses now, whether they're still the same today with everything that's going on, I don't know. But most are saying that businesses are good goodwill gestures and all of that and they're trying to hang on to as many customers as they can so for that reason uh, you know that they will if 
if uh, they think they're not being conned out of something, they'll send you back something, a goodwill a gesture in return. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. We'll close off on the competition now and we'll let uh, John Paul do a selection from all of the correct answers for the star in the car and we'll decide in a moment who's going to be winning our first 100 euro fuel voucher. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Still time for you to book your tickets for Dirt Birds. It's a comedy duo and it's going ahead in the Glen Theatre in Bantier tonight. The number to call to book is 029-56239. And Gina and the champions will play there tomorrow night. Bingo is in Mallow GAA Complex at tonight. That's at 8.15. The jackpot is €3,100 and it'll be in 46 calls or less. Now proceeds are going to the running of the Mallow GAA uh, Complex. Fanahan McSweeney Athletic Club are holding healthy athletic training. That's happening tonight between half six and a quarter to eight. It's at the Mitchellstown Leisure Centre for all ages. Now it's three euro cover charge. And then on Friday between five and six p.m. they will be at Kilworth Astro for and for all athletes born between 2014 and 2016 inclusive. Again, a three euro cover charge. And on Friday between six and seven p.m. there'll be a Kilworth Astro for all athletes born up to. 2013. That's for hurdles, jumps, throws and circuits. Three of cover charges as well. New members particularly welcome. Clonakilty Charity Ball that will be held in Dunmore House Hotel in Clonakilty Saturday the 19th of November. Proceeds are going to the Clonakilty Playground Fund. Tickets are available through promo ticks and they're also available at uh, clonakilty.ie forward slash events. Dara Mwintinatira are presenting Extraordinary Ordinary women, Women's Lives, written and performed by Clonakilty native Karen Minahan with Home Rules, a short play um, in aid of Ark House Cancer Support. It's a Dara Community Centre in Ring tonight at 8. Tickets are €10. Euro. Social Dancing with Patrick O'Sullivan is on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight. And Kildallery Bingo is on every Friday night, including tonight at 8 in the old storyard creamery. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Somebody was asking about when I mentioned yesterday the fish fixing. A lot of people totally shocked by this. And it's a story that is rocking the Irish dancing world uh, for sure. Uh, is there any update on that story? Well, I don't I don't quite think there's an update on that story, but what certainly has happened now is because the Irish Independent were really the first to have front page headlines about this story yesterday. They're carrying a lot more detail today, but a lot of the other papers are picking up on this and many of them actually have the copies of the text messages that clearly shows you have Irish dancing teachers contacting an adjudicator 
a week, a day before competition, naming individual to students and saying, could you make sure that they do well? Well, I need the win at this particular age. And, you know, yesterday when we were talking about it, I was assuming it was the older sort of the, you know, when it gets very competitive, the older teenagers up into the young adults. But it seems that according to today's uh, papers, that some of this cheating and fixing uh, went on uh, with competitions uh, for competitions for young boys and girls at 10 and under. And the newspapers are saying that they have seen texts showing judges appearing to be trying to fix scores for up to 25 students at their time. So it wasn't just one individual student. And of course, as we discussed yesterday, it's all to do with if the particular dance school gets a lot of winners, kudos for that school and they can charge more and they'll get more uh, enrolments. Now, senior government ministers, they're calling for a full investigation. The tarnish that was out yesterday uh, suggesting they could actually do reputational harm to Ireland. He's gone really far on this. And the commission, Larinka Gwelga, they're the commission who oversee Irish dancing. They, of course, have launched this formal investigation and they, um, but they have, uh, said they, it's been said that some of the judges who were accused of the fish fi- fi- fixing have still been allowed to adjudicate dancing competitions even since it has been identified. But they say there's an investigation going on. So they are not, they're allowing the judges to, c- to uh, continue on. On a number of occasions, Irish dancing teachers were texting judges and appearing to ask to rig dance competitions and it seems it was involving young children. Messages seen by the newspapers show teachers regularly sending judges the details of the children who would be in the competition at under 10 and under 12 dance categories. And, uh, you know, they're telling that they would be giving details to the judges, like, for example, they were able to tell them what number they were going to be in the upcoming competition. On other occasions, the teacher was sending very detailed, uh, clear detail of the colour of the dance costume or the hair colour in an attempt to mark out that student. So uh, the teachers would also, you know, mention maybe the previous titles that the person had uh, won. Now, the Arts and Culture Minister, Catherine Martin, she's also writing to the Commission for Irish Dance. Uh, to ensure trust was in stores, but she was at pains to point out that they don't receive any government funding. And now dancers are coming out of the woodwork, including a former river dance star, a guy by the name of Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Stringer. He's a teacher with the Celine Hessen School of Dancing in Saltine in, in Galway. And he's been dancing, you know, all from a very young age and gone to great heights. The fact that he made it all the way to river dance. And he said everyone in Irish dancing knew in inverted commas, the dodgy things were going on. And he said the revelations that all the rest of us are aghast at, he said, is not going to come as news to many. He said, I've grown up dancing, I've always danced, and everybody knows that there was dodgy stuff happening. And he said, it's not really fair. He said, there's an inner circle of people that are playing these kind of uh, games. So I think at this stage, we've got to wait for this. There's a former High Court judge is has been employed by the Commission for Irish Dancing. They're going to investigate. So we're going to have to wait uh, to see what is going on but but definitely a lot of people now coming out and saying yeah they knew that this fish rigging was going on uh, shocking 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls I played this a moment ago when I got that horse many years ago like 20 years ago nobody wanted it because he had a problem with his feet oh, the poor old horse had a problem with his feet Caroline Noonan is in Mallow good afternoon Caroline Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. Who's the lady talking about the problem with the horse? Is it Selma Hayek? It is Selma Hayek. Are you a fan of Selma Hayek's? Oh, I would be. 
definitely. Yeah, yeah. she's great. I, yeah, and I know we're going to have some people going, who's Selma Hayek? If you Google her and you'll see her picture, you'll know exactly who she is. She's she's exactly. a, she's funny as well. She's funny as well. And somebody actually has, has told me on a text that, and I'm assuming that's the horse she is uh, talking about. She actually has the oldest, she claims to have the oldest horse alive. Oh, God. So I don't Sorry. know if that's the case. Anyway, uh, guess what, Caroline? Yeah. You've won yourself a 100 euro fuel voucher. Oh, God, brilliant. Thanks for Okay, well, well, congratulations. You're our first winner uh, today. Congratulations. Thanks for million. We'll get that Thank out you. to you. Okay, take care, Thank Caroline. Bye bye. Caroline Noonan in uh, Mallow on our first Friday uh, for the C103's Free Fuel fa- Friday. We're going to continue now across the day. I know. Ken was giving them out on the breakfast show. We've got Mark in for Nick. He'll be doing it uh, into the afternoon. And uh, of course, Martina, later on, your chance to win 100 euro free fuel vouchers. It's with East Cork Oil, serving Cork City and County and across Munster for locations. You see your local oil company.ie. Always local, only on C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, uh, joining us. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. I just had in the stars in the car. It was um, Selma Hayek. I was. I heard that. Yeah. I'm very impressed with people knowing Selma Hayek. Yeah, I can tell you. Yeah. Well, actually, because when I was listening to it yesterday with John Paul and he played it, and I knew I said, "Oh God, I know. God, I can't think of her name. I can't <laughs> think of her name." And then he googled the picture of her. I was, oh God, Selma Hayek. I just I couldn't remember. Her it wouldn't name. be a voice, I think, that would be particularly recognisable, yeah. but the name and certainly the face when yeah, you see it. Yeah. And the minute the minute you see her face and. I had, as a hint, said uh, she's an American actress, but of course, as somebody pointed out, she's American slash Mexican. She is. So I, I think well, she's Mexican, Mexican. I think. She's what she put. Which, and then yeah. came, when she came to America, she did. She couldn't speak English. Could she not? No. Wow. Yeah. And she's very funny. Oh, she's a terrific actress. Yeah, she's yeah. A brilliant, brilliant actress. Okay, you went to the movies for us, and you watched a movie called Blonde, and the second movie is called Beast. So let's take a clip, uh, a trailer from Blonde. How did you get your start? What's tart? In movies. I guess I was discovered. (laughs) I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. I know you're supposed to get used to it. But I just can't. Marilyn doesn't exist. Marilyn Monroe only exists on the screen. Now, this is the f- the famous movie about Marilyn Monroe. Uh, now, I don't know, is, is it an actual biography or it's a fictionalised Ah, uh, yes, you see, this version. is the thing. This has caused an awful lot of controversy because the book that it's based on, which was uh, written by Joyce Carol Oates, that was a fictional fictionalised account on her life. So basically it was Joyce just looking at her life and th- looking at certain things that happened within her life, but then writing fiction around it. The problem is that the director here, a guy by the name of Andrew Dominic, uh, he has decided to call this film a biopic. 
So how could it be a biography mm. on a fictionalized book? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And um, and I think that's one of the things that people have had a major problem with in this film. Because there are scenes in this film which have no basis in reality whatsoever. They, they uh, didn't happen. Not at all. Well, yeah. well, we don't know. We don't know what happens behind closed doors of anybody's life. But yeah, then, yeah. you know, that's what a biography is all about. It's all about kind of uh, writing what you think happened behind closed doors. That doesn't necessarily mean to say it happened. And some of the scenes in this are very, very shocking indeed. There's a scene with John F. Kennedy, for example, which is one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. Yet there was no reports of that kind of behaviour from him at all, ever, even though you know, we know that you know there was some kind of misbehaviour uh, by him. Uh, but the scene is particularly shocking. At the start of the film, for example, she um, goes to the, um, the uh, office of Mr. Z. Now, Mr. Z, if anybody knows uh, um, their movies or, or around that time in the early 50s, they'll know who that particular movie head was. Now, he assaults her in the film. Yet again, there's never been historically a, r- a report of that assault ever happening. She does talk, and she has done in the past, of course, um, Marilyn. She did talk about, uh, you know, the, the casting couch, and it did happen to her. So maybe it did, but maybe it didn't. The interesting thing that the fact that they call him Mr. Z, they call, for example, Joe DiMaggio, they refer to him as ex-athlete. They don't refer to his name at all. Uh, Arthur Miller is only referred to as the playwright, for example. Uh, yet uh, she does have a relationship with uh, two young men in the film, uh, which she did in real life too, and they were the sons of Charlie Chaplin and oh. Edward, Edward G. Robinson. Okay. Uh, they are mentioned by name, which is very, very and odd. And John F. Kennedy is mentioned by name, is he? He's mentioned and he's referred to as the president, you see. Oh, and this okay. is kind of, yeah, so, th- so yeah. there's an awful lot of kind of contradictions here, even by, you know, the, the, the director himself and the writers themselves, uh, who almost seem as if they were kind of uh, frightened to mention some people and mention them by name. Uh, the film has been criticised for basically portraying um, Marilyn Monroe as just a victim. And it's true, and that's what the film does. It almost kind of, in a sense, kind of wallows in her misery from start to finish. And and I think that's the fault of the film, and that's the fault with, which I think a lot of people have had uh, of the film. It's a difficult, difficult watch. Uh, Andrew Dominic made a brilliant film some years ago called The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which was a film I loved. And it was a very, very kind of artistic kind of look at kind of uh, the Western era. And this film also, it um, there is some very strange imagery in this film, some of which I won't go into at this time of the afternoon. Uh, but it is quite explicit and actually quite shocking. And it's a shame, I think, to see her kind of, um, you know, portray this way because, I mean, sure, throughout the film, she does it there in the trailer, she's constantly referring to the fact that she's Norma Jean. She's not Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn she's, Monroe yeah. is a completely different uh, She's human only being. Marilyn Monroe when she's on, when she's on film. Exactly. And even though Norma Jean had a, a, you know, she didn't have a very good childhood. Yeah. She had a, 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 an abusive kind of alcoholic mother. She didn't know her father. She constantly refers to the men in her life as daddy, for example, which is very disconcerting, very, very weird and very strange. And do we know that she, if she did that? Um, that I don't know. I, I didn't yeah. look that up, but uh, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, the thing about the film is that it, it is very exploitative of her, unfortunately. And although we've got a director here who says that, uh, you know, it's a film about exploitation, um, it contributes to it really because it's actually quite kind of sleazy in a way. She's naked throughout a lot of the film in scenes where she doesn't necessarily have to be. And it's almost like a caricature of her on screen constantly. We don't see her. We very rarely see her happy in the film because, again, it's just wallowing in misery. It's very grim from start to finish. And it's nearly three hours long. It's a very, very difficult watch. It really is. And it would have been nice to see maybe the kind of the lighter side of Marilyn. There's one scene, I think, which kind of gives her a sense of intelligence where she um, she's arguing 
knowing about the film Gen- Gentlemen uh, Prefer Blondes, she hears that Jane Russell is getting paid 100000 She's getting 5000 She says, I want the same money. That is the only time when they show her any kind of real respect and show her of, to have any kind of level of intelligence. It's just all about the abuse of her by the men in her life and um, the men in the press and, 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 and you know, uh, and the paparazzi. And I think that's kind of a shame. And it's a, because of that then, it makes it a very difficult watch. There is some incredible kind of interesting... Who plays, who plays Marlon or Norma Jean? It's Anna Amos, another actress actually who uh, went to Hollywood and couldn't speak English. Now she's Colombian. You can hear her Colombian accent at times, uh, you know, come through. She will get an Oscar for this. She will be Best Actress because she, she is extraordinary. And looks the part. There are times when you're watching it and you're you thinking, think, is yeah. it Marilyn? Is it is it yeah. film of Marilyn or is it not? And is it Anna Amos? She is quite extraordinary in the film. And deserves an Oscar, you reckon? I think so, yeah. Wow. Okay, so it is called Blonde. Uh, Mark it at 10? It is an 18 cert, by the way. Okay. Um, For very obvious reasons, listening yes. to you there. Uh, I'll give it a four. Four? Only four? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, it's, 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 an, right. it's not a very good film. Yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> and then um, and we'll give that for for the for the actress that plays uh, exactly. Norma Jean. Okay, Beast. And this is an adventure drama horror. Funny enough, I was going to go see this in the cinema last week, but oh, yeah. uh, but it had finished yeah. its run, yeah. and here it is already. It's available to download uh, on streaming How services. How quick they're coming out now! That is very yeah. quick. Yeah, and it's not cheap, by the way. It cost me sixteen euro. It would have been cheaper to go to the cinema to see this, uh, but here it is, Beast. It's uh, Idris Elba uh, fighting lions in. Uh, oh, see, I, lo- in I like Idris Elba. Now I'm telling you now from the outset. I'm a fighting lions, but I do like Idris Elba. He's pretty good, and you know what I mean. I mean, the, you know, you're 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 promised him, you know, kicking lions in the face. Uh, in the trailer and uh, that's exactly what you get and um, this is the most Spielberg film uh, that has not been directed by Spielberg film that I've ever seen <laughs> uh, so it's basically you know substitute Jaws for a lion and that's basically what you have here so Edris Elma his, uh, he plays the character of Dr. Nate Samuels his wife has passed he has a couple of teenage daughters with whom he has kind of a fractured relationship and uh, he brings them to uh, Africa to on safari to a village nearby where their mother uh, grew up there he meets uh, Charlo uh, Copley who plays the character of Martin Ballins. Battles. Did you ever see the uh, YouTube site of the Lion Whisperer? This guy in Africa oh, and it gets on with I all did, these, yeah. you know, yeah, you know he's this incredible relationship with all yeah. these. Uh, well, that's the kind of character that uh, Charlotte uh, Copley kind of plays here. Uh, so uh, they bring him, um, Idris and, and the girls on uh, safari. Unfortunately, the night before, um, um, a pride of lions is killed by a group of poachers. But the male lead, the, 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 the head lion of the pride, manages to escape and decides to exact his revenge on every human that it can. Uh, and then, of course, it comes across uh, Idris and uh, the, the two kids and, uh, and Charlotte as well. And so basically it becomes like there was a film called um, uh, Cujo some years ago about uh, a, a kind of a, a mad, crazy kind of St. Bernard. Uh, it's it's very much kind of like um, it reminds me of um, of Jurassic Park and in fact at one stage one of the girls comes in wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt so <laughs> obviously the director knew what he was doing and so basically it's them trying to escape from this lion and this lion just constantly attacking people you've got and so Idris Elba just smacking the lion across the top of the head it all gets as you do as it all gets very silly sometimes I have to say but there's one scene for example which is the most Spielberg scene I've ever seen where he's trying to escape from the lion and he knocks against something which makes a load of noise he tries to stop the noise the lion kind of comes closer he then um, he has this walkie talkie and the 
the girls kind of contact him with the walkie-talkie and he tries to turn off the walkie-talkie and he then is attacked by a snake and he tries to grab the snake. It is the most Spielberg moment that I have ever seen in a film and it's there in this film as well. Look, it is very, very silly. The ending is very, very silly. But, you know, in between, you do get some beautiful cinematography. It is actually fin- uh, filmed on location, I'm glad to say, and not in a big green box like right. a lot of films these days. Yeah. It looks beautiful. That makes beautiful. it quite stunning then on the on Exactly. The and it is exciting at times as well as, unfortunately, equally silly. Okay. And it's it's simply entitled Beast. We had Blonde and now we have Beast. Mark Beast out of ten? I'll give it six. Six. Okay, listen, thank you for that. Have a have a lovely week. And you're in with us um Shortly. for Nick. You're yeah, in for Nick. And you've got a stars in your car to play? I do indeed. Is it easier than the Selma Hayek? Um, do you know, I had to listen to it and I was thinking, not necessarily. Oh. I think people will get it. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's well, not as easy as we're making people work for these fuel vouchers. Uh, exactly. Listen, thanks would, for Hey, that. it's 100 euro. That's Crikey. it. I'd love it uh, for sure. <laughs> listen, thanks, Mark. Um, have a good afternoon. And for uh, Nick, that's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. He will be back with us again next Friday. Well, that's where we wrap it up for today and for this week. And myself and John Paul have to get the glad rags on because we are heading to Kilkenny this afternoon because the BAI IMRO Annual Radio Awards are on tonight in uh, Kilkenny and uh, thrilled and excited to say that we've been nominated in the category Radio Moment of the Year and I was particularly pleased that we've got nominated in this category because uh, the interview that it was the interview that I did with Brenda O'Connell Barry earlier in the year she her beautiful little boy Fionn uh, passed away and she did an interview with us about a month I think after uh, little Fionn died and it was just one of those incredible moments because she was I mean, utterly heartbroken yet uh, she wanted to come on to thank people but more than anything she wanted to continue her campaign for family carers and uh, that's why I felt when, we, when I got this nomination, this nomination is very much uh, for Brenda and her husband Trevor and uh, little Fionn, but also for all family carers. Now, it's a national, we're in a national uh, category, so we're up against uh, RTE. Uh, so for us, just to even get nominated, there's five have been nominated in this category to us. That absolutely is the win already. But in the meantime, we'll go away and we'll get the glad rags on and we'll enjoy our night out tonight. So we'll talk to you on Monday morning at, at 10 o'clock in the meantime uh, thanks to John Paul uh, McNamara for producing this week and as I mentioned Mark is in for uh, Nick uh, following news at one Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.